going on? So oh, and Lexi's coming in. Wow, this is a party. Okay, we're live right now. How are oh, you dear. all doing? Oh, dear. Fantastic. What, what's up? What's wrong, Hassan? Can you, like, not hear us anymore or something? No, I can hear you. Is your phone? I don't know where your... <coughs> yeah, I don't know where your phone is. You'll have to, I have like... no idea what's going on. Click find my iPhone. We're live right now. We are live right now. So, how's everybody doing? This is the Saturday morning stream. I got... <laughs> my, my wife left. Oh, and Jerome's here. What in the... This is a new... We have, we have two new guests. We have Jerome. Hello. We have Ethan. Hello, we have Dende. And we have Hassan. So we have everybody here. Mm-hmm. Do you, like, lose your phone or something? You don't know where your phone is. That's rough. I just got up. You just got up. Ethan also just got up. Yeah, he was asleep. Oh, man, he, he was asleep like twenty minutes ago. Yeah, yeah. I needed my sleep tonight. All of us. Yeah, everybody was asleep twenty minutes ago. Then I woke up everybody in the house, telling them that it's time for my Saturday morning stream. Because so why do I? You guys may be wondering why do I have the guy from the Punch of the Quines episode in my house right now? Well, that's because Ethan and I. Uh, We've known each other for a while. We went to undergrad together. We, we converted to the faith together. And my daughter's getting baptized today. So, and he's a godfather. So that's why he's here right now. So, yeah. I think you need to plug the mic in. No, it's just because it's much further than us than normal. Can we like, is that better? We can hear you. I think he's trolling. Oh, you can? Yeah. Oh, mm -hmm. he's trolling. What? What do I think of Norman Geisler? Oh, no. The, the questions come in. Okay, so 1984 Sheepdog. I love my wife so much that I let her drive when she wants or needs to. True Saudi head. <laughs> does, does anybody get the joke? Am I the only one who gets the joke? Yeah, Steven probably. Crowder. Yeah. Steven Crowder. Uh, what is the drama with Steven Crowder? I just hear that he's getting divorced, but I don't actually know. The oh, content. yeah, yeah. Steven Crowder. He, like, apparently he was, like, a big jerk. And yeah, that's basically it. Is he was a big jerk. Did he beat his wife? No, I don't think he beat his wife. He did. Uh, he was just okay. Okay, he beat his wife. Okay, there. Thank you, Dad. <laughs> um, <laughs> I I don't know about the wife beating situation. Um, yeah. So but... the thing is, you tell you tell someone that he was beating his wife, and everybody's like, so horrible, so horrible. And then you tell Hassan, and he says, suppose that there's a king who has a song who's broken the law. <laughs> yeah. When yeah, you hear that parable from Hassan, you know that you're in for a ride. So, yeah. So what he did is his wife wanted to drive to go somewhere. And then and then he was like, no, don't drive there. And then his wife's like, why not? I need to get groceries. And he's like, well, I'll just drive there. And then she's like, look, I love you, but I'm driving there. And then he's like, I hate you. And then it was like the dumbest, it was the dumbest conversation ever. I, don't, I have no idea what's going on. He's like being a drama queen. He's like, yeah, but I hate you. And then she's like, Steven, I love you. And then he's like, I don't love you. And I was like, bro, what are you doing? I'm so, I'm actually glad that that uh, footage leaked. That's what he was getting at the over. No, um, it's it's just because like just because he's there's a, a lot of fighting. There's a lot. It's not like divorce exists. Christian on Pines of Aquinas when probably never, would be my guess. 
Christian and reason and theology one. True. Yeah. Will happen. Mark my words, bro. Okay, what is what is my favorite fast food place for a quick bite to eat? Um, dude, I have, I have too many favorites. I love them all. It's like asking what my favorite child is. Um, probably Zaxby's. I, I'm a huge Zaxby's fan. Are you comparing your kids to like burgers, dude? <laughs> Ethan, what's, what's your favorite? Favorite fast food place? I'd say Chick-fil-A. I mean, I was there. I worked there for several years. I was sick of it for a while, but now I like it again. Dude, I, kind of, kind of dude, I remember the Sanford Chick-fil-A. Yes. I just, I just, I just location doxed us. No, that was, that was when we were in college. That was, yeah, that's when we were in college. You know, when I was in college, I, uh, I wouldn't have as much time I wanted for studying. So I gave my blood plasma rather than getting a job. Mm. Mm. Can we get that question from Wesley Corway up on the screen? Uh, asking it's real Wesley. questions in here. He's asking the real important question. Dude, I hate you guys. I hate you guys so much. Okay. Okay, okay, here it is. Um, have you ever played Five Nights at Freddy's? And do you think Christians can write horror stuff or make horror games? This is a Hassan question. You think you're, I'm using my webcam mic? There's no freaking way. Hassan, have you ever played Five Nights at Freddy's? No. There you have it. You guys, you guys are right. I'm using my AirPods mic. I'm in, you know, you guys are right the whole time. Dang. How does that sound? How does do it? Keep talking. Let's let's get the mic. Keep talking, Christian, so we can hear it. Hello. Hello. Oh wow, he's right in the tunnel. It's awful. Awful? What? You sound Not like there. you're in a cave under the sea under a blanket. What? No, there you go. It's better now. Okay. Uh, you you guys are just messing with me, are you? We're not. No. It, it was a bad transition. That's all. Uh, what is okay. that? Uh, that when you go and reason in theology and discuss FNAF lore, what is F of oh, Five Nights at Freddy's? Um, There's all the audio crackle coming from. Is it coming from me? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's so coming from my mic doesn't so let me fix that. Rise and grind, so true. If, so it, true. if it happens again, just let me know and I'll fix it. It happens like maybe every hour or so. I just have to. Okay, what? What happens? Is that the real Trake Kruglia in the chat? Wait, what? <laughs> Bro, Trake Trake Kruglia. Craig Kruglia. You you know Craig Truglia? No, I actually don't. No, Ethan's Ethan's not on the internet. He's a I'm boomer. not on the internet. He's a boomer. Just... So Craig Truglia is this Eastern Orthodox guy. I, oh, I wanted to pull up like a funny compilation, but I don't want to meme on the guy too much on the stream. So what is what has happened in like the Catholic world this week? Um, Pope Francis said, "Get moving." Pope Francis said, "Get moving." That's true. I can't think of anything else. There was. Okay. Do you like watching penguins zero moist criticals drama fun no. videos? No. No. I liked I liked his review of Jack's, like the Jack Baker guy, where it's like this dude making like a mayonnaise cake. That was the only good video he's ever made. Everything else is terrible. 
Don't watch this. I don't even know who this guy is. I have no idea what this is. It's don't look it up. It's it's bad. Thoughts on Doom. Can a Christian play it? I don't know what Doom is. You've never heard of Doom? First person shooter, like really old. It's a first person shooter. They have the main character is canonically Catholic, by the way. You kill, really? Really? You the, whole, the whole point of the game is you travel to hell and kill demons. That's the, that's yes. You just go and kill demons. You, I, I literally, I, I hate you. I hate you right now for telling me my, my sound department is off right now. The sound is fine. Okay, Trey Kluglia, do you believe Pope St. Agatho did not teach papal infallibility? Because the bad version you admitted, he did uh, teach it. He did taught it. He did taught it, he says. Did did uh did he did taught it Hassan? He did teach it, nigga. I don't know. Oh, bro, 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 we're on YouTube. Bro. You can't drop the N word on the street. Can't say that. Come on. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Jerome. Jerome. He's been kicked. He's been kicked. I'm kicking him He's for gone. that. He's gone. He's gone. He's gone. That's so he, bad. Jerome's Jerome's <laughs> autism. <laughs> Gosh, I'm banning him from studio too. You're just from like, oh, I'm a completely well. normal person. I talk to normal, well-adjusted people in real life. Comes on the stream, immediately drops the N-word. <laughs> that was that was terrible. Yeah, no, there was so, so. The only thing I can think about, and we were talking about it uh, earlier, is the. I sound like Patrick Bateman right now. So true. Is the is our fun friend uh, Taylor Marshall uh, his his fantastic article. Quote, rest easy, ladies. St. Thomas has made a theological defense of your lipstick. Oh, there was the, uh, there was, so, speaking speaking of Taylor Marshall, did you see his fight with Taylor Patrick O'Neill? Yeah, it was really bad. Yeah, it was, it was quite embarrassing. So, Taylor, Taylor, Taylor Marshall, he's been posting those videos about the apparitions from the uh, from the nuns. You, you hear about that? Mm. There was some some like apparition that happened where apparently Pope Benedict the Sixteenth appeared to this nun and said that Pope Francis isn't the Pope. Oh yes, okay, yes, I did hear about that. And then Taylor Marshall's like tweeting like, "Bro, look at this! It's so cool!" Like, why why would why why would anybody tweet that? I don't. I don't know why anybody would be like, "Bro, look, random South American nun, Pope Benedict the Sixteenth, Francis fake Pope." I, I. I don't know why that he thought that was a good idea, but Taylor Patrick O'Neill. If you don't know Taylor Patrick O'Neill, uh, I'm giving him. Actually, I'll, I'll put his book link in the chat. Um, buy his buy his book, even though he probably gets like two cents um, from the Taylor Patrick O'Neill. Grace, predestination, and the permission of sin, a Thomistic analysis. Mm. So if you're into grace, predestination, and the permission of sin, then it's a good book. But Taylor Patrick O'Neill, he like screenshotted it and he posted it. And he's like, what the heck, dude? Like, why, why, why the the sort of grifter mentality of causing like a lot of a, a lot of uh, like traditionalist figures online will do this, but like just causing um, like chaos, sort of uh, causing. Um, I don't know how to put it. How, how would you put it? Like they're they're causing like disillusionment, disillusionment, and and people who look at this disillusionment, 
they're going to um, become habitually attached uh, to considering this disillusionment at all times. So um, Taylor Patrick O'Neill called him a grifter for doing this because it's pretty obvious what he was doing. I mean, he was he was causing like a sort of outflux of drama. So more people will engage in watching his content and buying his books and, and everything like that. And then Taylor Marshall took a screenshot of I'll, I'll, I'll show the book in a second. Let me see. This book took a screenshot of this book right here and said, like, look, you're selling this book from CUA Press for $70. Who's the grifter now, huh? And the reason this is so incredibly cringe is because it's like an academic book. Like, the dude probably gets maybe, like, what, 10 cents a copy? It's like, you don't even get, like, a dollar a copy for these books. He said so, that. He literally said... And that in total, he's got less than $200 in royalties. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So, yeah, that, that's that's normal for an academic publish, uh, uh, publishing like that. So Taylor Marshall is, is calling him a grifter for this. And basically what it revealed is that Taylor Marshall really doesn't know how academic publishing works. So... What, what does that tell you about him? If uh, Because, I mean, he's, he's claimed in many different ways to be an academic. Uh, he's said to have started a college or something like that. It's, it's really, really, really weird. Okay, what kind of question is this? Did Nikola Tesla secretly discover free energy? Ask a physicist, bro. Why are you asking us? Dude, I think Tesla was a nerd. That's what I think. That's true. It's true. Yeah. Thoughts on D Wong's videos on the Philly Oakway. He has some of the best videos. They're really good. The Philly Oakway. Yeah. Banger. Marshall tries desperately to pass as a boomer. There's such there's such a boomer moment with him. Hi, Dad. Hi, son. Have you tried sleeping in a bed in the nether? Yeah, of course. Uh, will I do a debunk video of David Erhan again? Um, waste Erhan? of time. Waste of time. Yeah, I think it's. I think it was a waste of time. Um, because, like, really, when it comes to Erhan video watchers, the so you in order to respond to a video, you need to be prudent about it. Because on the one hand, you need something that it's like actually worth responding to, um, that people are going to learn from your response. And then you also need to hit a subset of people that are going to be receptive to that response. So people that watch certain Eastern Orthodox figures like Erhan, they're really not receptive to anything you're going to say. You could, you could, like, they could say, Erhan could get out tomorrow and say, like, one plus one equals three. And you could do a debunking video of that claim and his followers would still tell you, no, one plus one equals three. You're an idiot. And they would, they'd probably like, they, they, they probably like dox your address and give your social security number out, like tell you where your kids go to school, you know, like that, that, that's what his followers would probably do if you told them that one plus one actually equals two, not three. So 
when it comes to Erhan videos, they're they're literally a waste of time to respond to. Because all your I've I've tried it before. Um and, and I and I feel like it was a bit of that way with my um debate with Ubi Petrus. Like I have no problem with Ubi. Um we're we're cool now. But like you if you read the comments on that video of like what a lot of the people were saying, it's very clear that they they didn't understand anything that was said. Um and then they really are like the, the people, like really the the meme, you, you know the meme of the one like Indian guy, and he's like the people are retarded. That, that's literally how it is when it's when it's responding um, to like pop orthodox figures. It's the the people are retarded, um, they're, and they're not going to be able to engage with, with anything. Uh, it's like talking to a brick wall. Um, yeah, so that that's that's why that's why I kind of eventually decide to steer away from doing anything with like pop orthodox figures it's just a huge waste of time it's a waste of time to watch their stuff as well by the way for every all the viewers here just don't engage with nonsense mm -hmm. yeah you what guys need to really learn how to like read some books yeah focus on forming yourself not like learning how to respond to every interlocutor that exists out there and doesn't and doesn't agree with us. Never even seen a video of his. You have David Erhan. You've never seen a David Erhan video. Never. The real so. the real Turk White. The, Neither have I. <laughs> the real Turk White. <laughs> <laughs> I he does the. Uh, he does. Uh, oh my! Yeah, he he actually has shorter videos. Um. What is I'm, I'm trying I'm trying he does like really weird sort of like politics and I mean like all those orthodox guys I, I don't know what it is about orthodox youtubers maybe it's just because they all want to like have the Jay Dyer vibe to them but every single one of them is not only interested in religion they're interested in geopolitics like I I don't know I don't know what what it is oh I can't I can't imagine why that might be the case uh me neither. Oh, wait, maybe, maybe just because those are what, what are the popular things that are going to be used. Well, no, no oh. it's got, it's something to do with the way that, like, Russian orthodoxy is today. Oh, okay. Where it's is... almost like okay. if you're into Question. geopolitics, you'll become orthodox. Like, you'll just be handling the form. What is the form of the Eucharist? Okay, I'm going to share my screen real quick. St. Thomas is one of the articles yes. of faith. The third sacrament is the Holy Eucharist. Its matter is wheaten bread and wine from the grape mixed with a little water, so that the water becomes part of the wine. The water signifies the faithful who are incorporated into Christ. Other than wheaten bread and wine from the grape cannot be the matter for the sacrament. The form of the sacrament is the words of Christ, this is my body and this is the chalice of my blood of the new and eternal testament, the mystery of faith, which shall be shed for you and for many for the remission of sins. These words spoken by the priest and the person of Christ bring into being the sacrament. The minister of the sacrament is the priest, and no one else can consecrate this matter into the body of Christ. Wait, maybe he's asking, like, what the form of the sacrament is after it has been consecrated, not the form of the like, sacramental action. You mean with the, with the form of the, the body what, of Christ? Or what the form is of... Like he he he's I, guess I, I think the he's soul? confused. I think he's I confused. Think I think he's asking what the substantial form is. And we would just say the soul of Christ. So yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, the, the, the relation between, I mean, obviously there isn't like a hylomorphic, um, union between the, the bread and the, um, and the, uh, and the, the thing, Christ. yeah, and the yeah. body of Christ. But there is a relationship, uh, which is analogous to matter and form between the two. So. Why Mr. Thomas looks like he's wearing a clerical shirt without the collar. I like black shirts. I'm a huge fan of black t-shirts. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe that was, maybe that was like, that was a huge missed opportunity. <laughs> Right there. Pints, pints with Lefebvre. Pints with Lefebvre. So true. Okay. So, have you read Thomas Joseph White, OP's recent book on the Trinity? I'm about halfway through. Yeah, that's probably the best contemporary treatment of the Trinity. One of the diorite beat this poor atheist girl in a debate recently, and they were so proud. It's like being proud you beat a special needs kid. Well, let's not forget. Uh, Come on Christian, now. Let's not forget Super Christian Mario lost to an atheist. Dude, that was. Oh wait, wait. Do, do you do you guys want to do you guys want to have a fun review? Not right now. I need. To, I need oh no, no no! I just want to pull up like the the last minute of this debate for Ethan because he probably has no idea no what we're talking idea. about. Yeah. Um, Christian Mario debate. Not the Theo. Oh, did they? Did they do? Did they delete the debate? No. No. <laughs> what was what was the other person? Oh, Christian Mario versus. Oh, who was the other person? Dang, that is. That is unfortunate. They deleted the debate. Okay. Uh, hey, Christian, I recently started praying the divine office. So far, there have been nothing with good results. However, I'm having trouble remembering what to do, bowing, etc. while praying. Um, so with the regulations, uh, and if you read, if you have the uh, ordinary one, which I have somewhere down there. Um, if you have the ordinary office, which I don't use anymore because I don't go to ordinary at mass. Um, if you read the beginning of it, and I think, I think I remember you mentioning that you were using the, uh, the, um, ordinary office book, but if you, if you read the beginning, it's going to give you some regulations and one of those regulations, uh, attached canonically, uh, with the divine office is that in private recitation, uh, you can do it sitting and you don't have to do the bodily, uh, motions. I mean, out of out of piety's sake, and I think it's actually good practice. You may want to, um, and the the general ones are profound vow with the Gloria, um, and then nod at the uh, names of uh, Our Lady and then Our Lord. So yeah, th those are kind of like the general regulations. I mean, standing, sitting, kneeling, all all that stuff. You don't uh, really uh, need to do, um, but if you are using the the divine office from the ordinary, there actually are the the regulations that you do in common as well. So, yeah, that's that's all. Uh, will you do a collab with Nostalgia Critic? I have no idea who that is. It will happen. What is who is Nostalgia Critic? 
It will happen. Trust me. It's going to happen. Who is it, Dende? Um, oh, it's on the Crucible channel. That's what it is. Okay, let's see. We might be able to find it. I'm so sick right now. Crucible. It's called the Crucible. Okay. Dang, Augustine is... No videos. What? Did they get taken down? I think they might have got taken down. They have no videos. No playlists. That's because uh, Super Christian Mario is a fed, dude. You gotta dude take Mario, Mario might be a fed. What? You heard it here first. You, hear, you heard it here first. I botched that so bad. <laughs> oh, come on, come on, come on! Don't make fun of me, man. Come on. Okay. Oh, Hassan, there you go. This, this is this is Hassan. Now you're now is your time to shine. Yeah, this is a Hassan. I've term. heard that there is an old Eastern canon prayer that doesn't contain the words oh, of institution. This. Do you know anything about it? This is the anaphora of Saint Mary and Adai. It's used by the East Syriac tradition. It's one of the oldest anaphora used in the church. <clears throat> and what people don't usually know is that this feature, that the words of institution were kind of like scattered throughout the anaphora rather than put open in one place, is actually um, common to a lot of the older forms of the anaphora used in the Syriac churches in general. Um, and so it's not just something distinctive to the East Syriac church. Um, the Maronites, who were always in communion with Rome, also had this. So what you need to kind of think about here is that uh, there isn't really like much to disagree with because the church has already come down in favor of saying that it's valid. Um, what you need to keep in mind though, is that it does contain the words of institution. It's just not all put in one place. Yeah. It's scattered. Right. And so that's, this is one of the reasons why they said that the intention uh, of like completing the words of institution was finalized at the epicletic prayer. And this is one of the things that creates one of the weird differences, but they don't do that anymore. All the, um, all the Syriac white Catholics uh, pray with intact words of consecration now. Interesting. But the Vatican has actually spoken on it being valid. And no, the, the Maronites were always in communion. It's not a oh, the Maronites were always in communion. Yes, I, the, I, I the, need to the, I need to bring the, back up my history for one percent of the church. Yeah, the the revisionists claim that it was that that they weren't always in communion comes from a misunderstanding of how internally fractured the monothelite movement was. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Oh gosh, bro, can you guys ask real questions? Um, thoughts on the Russo-Ukrainian war? I have none. Just after you said, I don't know why people want to talk about theology and geopolitics. Someone asked people you, start asking questions about geopolitics. Yeah. So, how was orthodoxy under Islamic takeover in the 16th century? Um, yeah, have you, have you, heard, have you heard of it? Have you have you heard of this, Christian? Maybe like, you should. Really... Christian, maybe you should just like restate like. Who you are, what your expertise is, and what sorts of questions are actually relevant to you. 
Okay, so I don't talk about geopolitics. Um, I'm not a polemicist. Well, I guess I'm not really an apologist. I'm a bit of a polemicist. Um, I'm interested in scholastic theology. Uh, and I'm a bit interested in the way in which uh, scholastic theology relates to Protestant theology. And Ethan's uh, expertise is also um, on Protestant theology. Um, so if you ask me questions on those areas, I can probably answer them. If you ask me geopolitics questions on the Russia-Ukrainian war, I can't answer them. Uh, you might as well ask me about like, I don't know, I, you might as well ask me about like, I don't know, like Chinese history or something like that. Like, why, why would you go on my channel and ask me about Chinese history? That's like, I, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. But like, I, I don't know. Ask, ask, a, I'm going to start sending you, I'm going to send you this link. Um, it actually will be able to answer these questions a lot better than me. And I'm going to, I'm going to put it down. And I'm going to put it up. Uh, Google.com. Google.com. I am not Google. Um, so if you have, if you have Googled this question uh, and you haven't been able to find the answer, if you've looked in your catechism and you haven't been able to find the answer, then you can ask me. But if it's a question that you cannot find on Google, you cannot find in your catechism, and it's a question within the general sphere of what I, I talk about, you can ask it to me. Um, it, you know, it's, it's, uh, there, there's a saying uh, that there's no stupid questions, and I think that's a stupid, really stupid statement because there are plenty of stupid questions, as has been evidenced by doing the Saturday morning stream for so many months. <laughs> so i love i love you guys i love you guys but please ask me better questions sometimes we close the stream and we're both like to each other yeah i kind of just don't want to love anymore these guys suck i don't want to <laughs> i love you guys but <laughs> but your questions your questions are terrible uh unfortunately that book has a typo on page 270 so trinity debunked does it that's that's sad. Oh, speaking speaking of typos. Uh, oh yeah, you've got a lot of expertise on this, right? Yeah, I, I apparently I'm like the worst with typos. When I <laughs> Your edit tweets, books. dude. Your oh, my tweets as well. Okay, so I really like the book recommendations you have on your website, but do you have any good recs on good biblical scholarship? That's like that's honestly um, something that I would ask ask somebody else about um, because that that's actually quite I, I mean not like that you should ask somebody else about it that I myself would like want to talk with somebody about it's really hard to find a good faithful Catholic uh, biblical scholarship um, generally on principles like on principles we have the um, what's the commission set up for uh, scripture what is that called Hassan. The, the Pontifical Biblical Commission. The Pontifical Biblical Commission. Uh, they have a lot of good uh, works on like general principles of biblical exegesis and of um, critical scholarship. Um, but when it comes to like specifically, I'm assuming you're asking about like exegetical works. Um, it's going to be, uh, I, I can't really think of um, just like really solid um, works of contemporary biblical interpretation just because um most most commentary like modern commentaries you'll read it's just uh it it, it really is more critical than it is uh, expository so it's pretty useless for a lot of us um so when you read it they're talking about whether this part of the text is valid or whether that part of the text is valid kind of on like maybe a few different like schizo theories of interpretation like it, it really is just a mess it's a waste of your time 
So, yeah, um, unfortunately, uh, really all I do when it comes to biblical scholarship is my biblical commentaries by St. Thomas. Um, and then I'll read the gloss, the gloss as well. Um, that's really all, all I need for my uses because biblical scholarship isn't like my, my wheelhouse of study. So I can keep it simple. Vatican II, Pope Francis is the Vatican glue. His words are Vatican truth. Boris. Have, have you seen that that rap by Christian Mario? It's so funny. No. No. Okay, here, here's, a good, here's a good question. Christian, is it a sin to play Balloon Tower Defense 6 because of the pagan themes uh, in the monkey upgrades? <laughs> no. Okay. What popular music... Do, you, you, you guys are doing it on purpose now. I know you guys are doing it on purpose. Just to trigger me. The answer is no. Oh, wait. No, these these questions were before that I, I ranted. So am I. Okay, so isn't it a myth that the Maronites were always in communion? Uh, Hassan debunked that already. No, I, yeah, we already went through that. Here's a fun one. How should I start learning Latin? Um... Re, so first what you need to do is watch like a good video introduction to what comprehensible input is. And then you'll kind of get the nature of how language learning works, which is basically interaction with text. Uh, like um, I think Scorpio, um, this, he has, I just look up comprehensible input. I'm sure you can find a video. All of them are about the same. But just explaining to you how language learning works, being able to interact with texts that you're able to comprehend but they kind of stretch you and then just reading a crap ton just read a lot of, of stuff like that um lingua latina is a good um good graded reader uh, it has a good it has a lot of good um additions like the colloquium um like the fabulae um it it, it just has it just it has a lot of good additions um but also you just need to read a lot. Uh, do Roman Catholic scholastics use the category of causa impulsiva uh, like the Protestant scholastics do? I'm actually not sure. I've never heard. I've never seen it used. Yeah, I've never seen it used as well. So that is an I'm not sure question. What's the difference between that and efficient cause? I don't know. The the product the Protestant scholastics will just change language um, for no reason. I'm pretty sure. I think the call so impulsive has to do with uh, promotion. Wait, say that again. It has to do with promotion. Okay. Yeah, I th I think um, if I'm remembering correctly, it has to do with promotion. But I've never I've never seen the term used in Catholic discussions of promotion. That's the kind of question we want, though. That, that that's true. That that's, that is a good that's that's a, that's a good example. Question. I he immediately actually, woke up he when I heard that question. Asked so. another question just a couple minutes ago. He, the really? same guy asked another question. Yeah, he said, Excellent. "How do RCs answer the reformed objection that bodies cannot be in more than one place?" 
This is a good okay. one. Okay. Um, where is okay? So yeah, uh, how do Roman Catholics answer the reform objection that bodies cannot be in more than one place? So first, there's actually a uh, disagreement between various uh, scholastic schools. I actually have an article that I wrote about this like way far back. Yeah, but the Scotists, the Scotists um, do not believe that matter is that which individuates form. They think uh, hexaity does or thisness, which I think is kind of just made up. Uh, sorry, Scotus, if you're watching, I think you just made that up. Uh, it's like, what, what, what makes this, this, hmm, this, this, okay, great. Thank you. Thank you, Scotus. Um, doing, doing the, doing the big work for us. Uh, but yeah, so the Thomists are going to say that matter individuates form. Uh, Scotus are going to say hexaity and they're going to say, okay, so this, uh, a single cup could be individuated into, uh, two matters. Well, individuating two things. So you could have the same, like the same man could be in two locations properly and circumscribedly uh, to, so, so this, this man could be in two places where we would say in cases of bilocation, it's actually one is a proper placement. The other is an improper placement, or we can think of like a ghostly sort of placement. It's not that there's two matters uh, individuated by the same uh, form. So Thomas, yeah, Thomas are going to say that actually we can't have bilocation properly speaking. Scotus are going to say we can have bilocation, properly speaking. But either way, um, the uh, what you mean by body is some sort of dimensive quantity. It means uh, some sort of extended uh, material space. If that, that's kind of like a modern way of uh, explaining it. But that's not what we think about the Eucharistic presence. We don't think the Eucharistic presence is a sort of like extended space. Uh, because quantity, as you know, uh, is one of the uh, categories. It's, it's an accident. Um, we don't we don't believe that quantity is that which uh, comes to the Eucharist, or at least that that which changes in the Eucharist. The quantity is still the quantity of bread and wine. Um, it's only the substance uh, that changes. So, good question. Uh, but there are there are really two issues, um, and it's both of those two issues. And I don't know I don't know why the Scotists like to try to say that there is a proper presence um, that is circumscribed and uh, dimensive in the Eucharist. It's, it's like. I've never really gotten how that's a valid option, especially after the Council of Trent. Um, but yeah, you'd have to ask uh, somebody who is who is a Scotist and actually. Um, oh, speaking of that, boom, Summa of a Scotus Summa. So I I haven't mentioned this uh, on the stream, but I actually did edit a fun little um, fun little book that is. Yeah, yeah there you go. See it. Nice. So it it's uh, basically Scotus's Ordinatio simplified and then ordered after the questions of the Summa. And um, and what I did is I added to it because Peter Simpson originally translated this. And I added cross references to all of St. Thomas's works. So, yeah. So if you if you want to, like, go and look at what St. Thomas has to say besides that question, of the Summa, like in his De Potentia, De Veritate, in his Sentences Commentary, whatever. Uh, you can you can use this book to look at those sections. So there's a link in the description below if anybody wants that. So thanks for reminding me. But yeah, I'm not I'm not friendly to the SCOTUS position. So you'd have to ask a SCOTUS to like actually positively defend their view of uh, a quasi bodily Eucharistic presence. But yeah, that's how Thomas would respond. Uh, just to clarify, we'd respond by saying that he's present in substance, but not an accident so his body isn't properly speaking in more than one place yes yeah. and it's in its mm -hmm. quantity 
Yeah. Because uh, I know we kind of just went through a whole bunch of things. So yeah, that's, kind that's of restate that in this defensive quantity. Yeah. Thoughts on Erasmus. Uh, good son of the church, centrist Protestant, or what? Reading day controversy. E. It's clear Bellamine doesn't like yeah, he him. He calls him a half Christian. Yeah, yeah, he calls him a half Christian. <laughs> yeah, Erasmus. Erasmus. Uh, whether whether anybody likes it or not, um, was a heretic. He, he was. Mm-hmm. That's that's just the truth. You think he was um, a formal heretic? I I don't I don't know uh, that, but uh, certainly he taught uh, propositions that were against. Um, definitions of the church his um which, which ones which ones were against like definitions that were already in existence did you know that's that's a good question because didn't he die did he die before trent i think he died before Trent. yeah because he was that's his, like a lot more of a difficult condemned. question to look at yeah the question would be whether or not the dogmas uh the definitions against him were definitions detailing dogmas that already were okay, at least at least he uh, he disagreed with Catholic doctrine um, because there were the the school system at that point had already been um, yeah formulated. Are you so so your so your um, place that you're saying he's a heretic on is his view of compulsion, right? Uh, uh, it, so the area that I'm thinking of is actually some of his views around um, inspiration, uh, the okay. canon. Um, some of his views around justification are like really sus. Mm, I'm trying to, some, some of his views around papal authority as well. Uh, Ecclesiastical authority are very sus. Yeah. There's just like so many areas where he's like super, super sus. You mentioned Trent. So I was thinking of the proposition that is consciously from him that is condemned at Trent on, on compulsion of baptized persons to, uh, keep the external uh, responsibilities of the faithful. Hmm. Remember that one? Um, that's like the only one that I don't remember. That's this is the one about like so if a child is baptized and then they come to the age of reason, can they make a decision whether or not they would like to be beholden to the responsibilities of the faithful, such that they would not be allowed to be compelled if they said that they wouldn't like to? Um, and um, this idea of Erasmus was from his. Um, prefaced his commentary on one of the letters of St. Paul, um, and it was condemned as heretical. Uh, and I, I actually would say that this uh, this was already condemned because there was a synod of Toledo in the first millennium that said the same thing. Oh, here's a good one. Um, scholastic answers. Can you give your best defense for Psalm Thomas's proposition, the saints will rejoice in the torments of the damned. So the torments of the damned are an expression of the justice of God. Now, the justice of God is one of his attributes and really identical with his essence. Now, the end of the beatified in the beatific vision is the love of God. Now, when the uh, lover has in his possession the object of his love, i.e. the beloved, he rejoices. Therefore, the uh, blessed will rejoice in the torments of the damned. It's like St. Thomas. Uh, how do you respond to the objection? Somebody brings up, I do not like, you know, where God says, I do not rejoice in um, the punishment of the sinner, but rather in his conversion. Well, that's, that's before uh, damnation. So, okay. Yeah. So af- after, after damnation, um, at that point, there is a certain immutability uh, with, 
the so so on the supposition so i i guess i would distinguish like this is on, on the supposition that the damned uh could possibly um repent then yeah but that supposition has uh it is impossible uh because of the um casting of the lake of fire yeah, and so. the accidental um torments <laughs> hassan yeah you just decided to like, <laughs> wind up the, the the toy monkey with the symbols again yeah i mean just just read uh at the at the end of the supplementum saint thomas talks about this i i so I don't know if this is even like a Thomistic position that the saints will rejoice in the torments of the damned. Ooh. I can't imagine how anybody would say that we don't rejoice in anything. Um, in well, because yeah. it's because it's not it's not in the suffering of the damned considered in itself, but in God's expression of justice, which is something yeah. that of course we're going to find lovable because we love the manifestation of God's attributes in, in creation. Yeah, that, I guess I guess that is an important distinction. We don't we don't rejoice in suffering, quaff suffering, but under the aspect of justice. Yeah, and, and the same and thing Saint Thomas says about God. This this isn't a one to one comparison, obviously, but consider the fact that we don't rejoice in Christ's suffering, but we rejoice in it, insofar as Christ uh, rejoiced to give Himself uh, and to to merit what He merited through His suffering, right? Because because of what it manifests of God in His. Uh, human nature so how do we answer the epistemic problem by believing the magisterium is infallible the argument the protestants use because they hold to sola scriptura the church is the necessary condition of revelation that is true the church is the necessary condition for the application of revelation um which is different so i i think so i think the biggest the biggest distinction we need to make in these discussions is there's a difference between private judgment and private interpretation so private private interpretation, there's there's nothing wrong with that. That's private interpretation means you read something, like that's literally what it means. Is the magisterium says says this requires private interpretation to to understand what the magisterium is saying to you, and this is the this is the issue with a lot of the Catholics who argue from private interpretation as the as a certain issue that we need to overcome. Like the issue, the problem with even bringing that up is literally every you can't get away from private interpretation. It's impossible. You can get away from private judgment. You can get away from private judgment. Um, so that that's the that the at the magisterium as the applier of revelation is acting as as judge. And in a certain sense, we could say with acting as interpreter, but acting as interpreter in the sense of giving judgments of the sense um, of the certain document. So so yeah, I, I think this distinction between judgment and interpretation is important, um, and, I, and I think that really really helps with uh, moving the discussion forward is asking like, okay, can individuals make judgments when well, certain things, individuals can make judgments other things, the individuals can't make judgments and ultimately having uh, not having public authorities who are able to make judgments that that bind the conscience, not only bind the outward action. Um, that, that is, that is what the debate is over uh, right here. Did SCOTUS have Asperger's? Yes. Question. Mm. Oh, 
here's here's a here's a fun here's a fun question for Hassan. Do natural, non-Catholic, non-sacramental marriages have to be civil marriages to be valid natural marriages in the eyes of the church? So if he means, uh, does the church's doctrine hold that they are valid? Then the answer is no, they don't have to be civil marriages in order to be valid marriages. Otherwise, we would be arguing that people who live below the level of awareness of the state, like certain tribal groups or whatever, are actually incapable of marriage, which we don't hold. And um, and of course, human beings are able to exist in a pre-political state, right? Uh, or a pre-political status is a better way to put it. But if you if you mean, does the church uh, like legally recognize any of these and assume that they are natural marriages? I don't know. I have no idea. Couldn't answer that for you. Interesting. St. Thomas wrote anything on the purpose of art. Um, I can think of one like sentence from his works on art. From the principles of nature, the last sentence, the last paragraph is on art. It's like, it's like a really random comment to it. Isn't anything like profound. Art in the same sense to either though, right? Yeah, he's talking about artifacts. So yeah. he's talking about like created things. Right. Well, created thing. What is what is beauty? That is a good question. That's a very good question. So um when it comes to when it comes to so everybody everybody always wants to ask about like transcendentals and whether beauty is transcendental. Beauty is not a proper transcendental. So um first a transcendental, all that means is that transcends all of the categories of uh, of things so it's not like uh if, if we talk about whiteness whiteness is not a transcendental because whiteness is only a quality you don't have like subs substantial whiteness or relative whiteness or uh whiteness is a quality of a, of a certain thing it, it stays within its own genus so um a transcendental it goes above those genuses and transcends into everything as uh, insofar as it has being. So being is a transcendental being is not a genus being is a transcendental. So everything that somehow has a relation to being is going to itself be a transcendental like being is. So um, the most famous ones is going to be truth, which is the relation of being to the intellect and um, goodness, which is the relation of being to the will. So what is what is beauty? Um, beauty does not have a faculty that is relative to it. So primarily, it can't be a transcendental. Now, I think beauty is somehow a mixture between um, knowledge and affection, uh, knowledge and love. Um, so it's going to be somehow a mixture between goodness and truth is going to produce beauty. So it's only a trans it's a transcendental in the sense that it transcends all the categories, but it's a transcendental secundum quid that is uh, secondarily because it, it it comes from tr two other transcendentals so it's it's like a transcendental of like the second order uh sort of which we can i guess include a lot of things that are transcendentals of the second order once we start mixing together all of the um all of the possible of uh, mixtures of the proper transcendentals like answer yeah so that that's that's my thoughts uh, i i i always cringe when people include beauty in the transcendentals though
Um, why is it that your list of manuals, there are no expert level recommendations? Have you read the SDS yet? <laughs> Have you read like Lagrange's commentaries? I mean, at, at that point, like it, if you want to go further than that, which will, which will be like, I don't know, Perone's uh, longer work, Franzelin's longer one, um, if you want to go in the manual sort of sense, you're just going to need to know Latin. And at that point, like if you're reading at that level, why aren't you learning Latin? So, I mean, I, it, the question makes no sense. What is Bagnesian Thomism? The Thomism that was taught by Domingo Bagnes. <laughs> and St. Thomas. Thank you. And St. And Thomas. And St. Thomas. If you're, if you're asking about like what, what, what distinguishes Bagnes, um, it's his views on race as opposed to um, Galena. It's Calvinism. Calvinism. I mean, everybody thinks everything's Calvinism in Islam. Have you heard that? Well, what do you what do you think about that, Hassan? When people call like, when people try to identify Calvinism in Islam, uh, <clears throat> it's honestly but like bewilderingly stupid. I don't I don't understand how people even like reach such a stupid conclusion well because they're stupid oh okay, here's, well, here's it's, one it's, that I it's can... more it's more than that because because the thing is that it has to involve not taking seriously the diversity of schools on this question within islam at all mm. uh, and just going with like memes that they hear and then trying to construct a polemics based upon them which is really 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 dumb So. Okay, why? I mean, oh, I mean that you put intermediate level next to many recommendations, but you want advanced or expert in front of any, because nobody is advanced in the school of St. Thomas. You only get intermediate. He's too big. He's too big brain. Your question does make sense, and now you're a jerk. Yeah, no, now I was just being a jerk. Wow. Okay, I mean that's 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 uh, many such cases. I'll take that Westminster confession. So question. why? Yeah, I'm going to take that Westminster confession question. So why isn't being a genus? Because I can just answer this quickly. Well, uh, a genus has um, a univocal nature that is applied to all of the uh, members of the genus. It's like animality. Um, we we every single member of the genus animal has animal nature um, in a univocal way. But with uh, and and they're differentiated. Okay, this is the important part. They're differentiated from the genus by a difference that is something outside or not identical with the generic term. So we're rational animals. Our rationality, rationality, is something distinct from animality, and that's what distinguishes us uh, from the rest of the genus animal. Now the issue is when it comes to being, you have to have a difference if, if it's a genus. You have to have a difference which differentiates all beings. That is something outside of being. Now, there's nothing outside of being because if there's something outside of being, it would be nothing, and therefore nothing would distinguish the members. So, being ha can't be a, something which is univocally predicated to everything. It has to be something which is analogically predicated to everything. This is from Aristotle. So, this isn't this isn't anything like new to Saint Thomas. But yeah, being is not a genus. Okay, so 
This uh, this Westminster Confession question is great. So when the Westminster Confession mentions that prelapsarian Adam was in a covenant of works, isn't that blatantly Pelagian? Do you know how the Reformed would respond to that? I, I'm pretty sure Ethan knows how the Reformed would respond to that. Yeah, so it's kind of a, yeah. Um, the Reformed response to that, well, I guess we'll take the first one, the first question first. Um, it whether it being whether it's blatantly Pelagian or not, um, it is in our sense of when we think when we talk about um, Pelagianism, yes, because it's not it's not rooted in sanctifying grace that he would merit eternal life through. So, but the whole problem is that the Reformed generally don't believe in sanctifying grace in the same sense we do. At least it's 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 um, some of them claim to, or you can see you can see it in Junius a little bit, but it's not quite. Yeah, we were we were talking about this last night. It's it's actually really really difficult to ask these questions. We we were going over um, something about Junius, and speaking of Junius, I actually need to leave for class in a few minutes. Um, but uh, we we I, I I just I just wanted to show him some some things I'd been reading in in Junius that were that were really interesting, and we we really just. We're talking about this and the reformed scholastics they're very confusing and it's not because of profundity it's because of sloppiness it really is because of sloppiness um they're very they play very fast and loose with their categories like uh for example junius called the material he called so you wanted to explain the science of theology and explain its uh, species and what specifies it from the other sciences. And he decided to do it on the basis of the four causes. Now, if anybody's ever read posterior analytics, uh, you know that a, a science or really any sort of habit um, is specified by its formal object. It's not specified by the four cause, its four causes, which is really, really weird. And he calls the material cause which the material cause of, of a habit is, is the uh, faculty in which it adheres. So he calls the material cause of, of the science God. Now, God can't be the material cause of anything. And the material, the, the matter of something is the genus, so it would be a science. And, and, uh, and the, the material cause of a science would be the faculty in which it adheres. It, it's just, uh, what, what I'm trying to express is a lot of these guys are so incredibly confusing. And they're very sloppy with their categories. And and I really, I really... After after having read somebody like uh, Gary Gu's discussion of uh, the nature of sacred theology, and then reading a reformed discussion of the nature of sacred theology, it is a night and day difference. The the it's like it's like having like a perfect listening to like a professional violinist like do some sort of violin thing versus listening to like your fourteen year old cousin who just started violin like two years ago. It's like really really obvious that the reformed are really just doing a bunch of patchwork stuff. So, so a question like this becomes very difficult because you have some thinkers who are going to define grace almost like we do. Um, then the other thinkers are defining grace as something almost completely restorative. And there's these, there's these multiple lines of reformed thought that go almost back all the way to the beginning. And it expresses itself in, um, in, in current reformed debates, actually is uh, I, had, I had a professor comment one time that he actually thinks that Van Til, uh, that, that a sort of Van Tilian stream of reform thought or, uh, has its genesis all the way back to the Reformation, some thinkers, on the way in which they viewed philosophy, on the way in which they view the knowledge of God, on the way in which they view grace. So questions like this become very difficult to answer. Uh, 
because it's like, okay, which section of the reformed are you talking about when it comes to the way in which they're defining grace? Because mm -hmm. some of them are going to say, well, the fall, the fall from Adam is, is going to put us in this, like we're, we're kind of at this in nature fall from Adam puts us down to this. And then grace puts us back up to where we were uh, in Adam. And therefore the covenant of works is going to be blatantly Pelagian uh, because you're going to have the meriting of eternal life by, uh, by nature and not even the necessity of, of grace to elevate us above that. And then others are going to kind of hold our view, which is where Adam, Adam is like given this grace to go up here. He falls going slightly below um, nature with some of the noetic effects of sin and some of the corruption that happens. And then through grace, we, we are elevated not only to Adam, but we actually have this continual elevation up to the life of glory. So it, it becomes super, super difficult uh, to, to discuss these issues. And uh, if anybody... If you have the people there, like uh, Davenant will frequently make, and I mean Davenant as in Bishop John Davenant, not as like Davenant Institute, but Bishop John Davenant will frequently make this claim that the papists are so divided amongst ourselves and the reform agree on everything. If, if you have any sort of knowledge of the general scope of reform thought, that's a ridiculous claim. It really is a ridiculous claim. These guys are doing hodgepodge work. They're doing hodgepodge scholasticism, and it can come up with some like pretty embarrassing uh, results, pretty confusing uh, results. So, yeah, that I, I think I think this actually provides like a good occasion to discuss this, that. Yeah, this this is. Uh, I, I mean, it'd be nice if we could we'd probably reapproach this sometime. Uh, but th this is um, like there's there's questions even on on what's meant by covenant. Um, like covenants, sometimes they have a more ontological like ground or like it's defined more that way. Mm -hmm. Other sometimes it's more legal and abstracted. It's going to just depend on the under, underlying philosophy and the background. Um, the Westminster Confession on it is, um, it's very, it's a, it's a consensus document. So it's pretty, um, open to be, to be interpreted in multiple different ways. Um, especially on those questions, it's, it's just, it's really tough to answer this, um, well, such that everybody would be, you know, um, we're about, we're about to have like a Michael Lofton moment and be like, this is why you need the infallible magisterium. We can go back to the magisterium <laughs> and ask them. Can't go back to the Westminster Confession and ask them. There's actually some truth to that. No, um, be, because yeah. like we, we, we ourselves in the reformed world have seen uh, these issues with being able to interpret something as fundamental as like this prelapsarian covenant. It's pretty fundamental to reform thought and they can't get their crap together with how to explain it. It's that's just the brutal truth. Um, of how it is being a reformed scholastic, and I, I feel like a lot of the, a lot of the like you, you get these sort of starry-eyed beginners who who have been like introduced to Muller, um, or, or maybe like a friend has shown them Vermigli, or or maybe like a Turretin or a Petrus von Maastricht, or or something like that, or or maybe one of the Puritan authors who are writing in this way, and they're introduced to it, and they're like, wow, this is like really uh, like cool, intense stuff. They're using these philosophical distinctions I don't understand. It's like really cool stuff. But as as you kind of get in deeper into the lore, you begin to realize that things are not as they appear. Once you start, once you start reading, um, like even even like our, our third scholastics, this isn't even talking about our second scholastic. Our second scholastics during like the, the like sort of silver, they call it the silver age. Um, it was like the post Tridentine scholastics. Those guys were were intense. This isn't even talking about those guys. Even like our, our third scholastics, like our manualists, like it, it's very clear that they know what they're talking about. They have uh, they have a tradition that that has been passed down. Where when you read a lot of the reform guys, it's hodgepodge 
um, sort of distinctions, uh, which can lead to some like embarrassing blunders about like not even knowing how, um, not even knowing how a science is specified, or not even knowing like that God can't be the material cause of anything. Which I think by material cause he means object, which doesn't make any sense. It's uh, it, it's like we're trying to illustrate just embarrassing blunders that that frequently come up in reform thought. It's a uh, ten thirteen. Just letting you know if you have to go to class. Yeah, my class was at ten. Uh, I want to see if there's any maybe quick good questions. good question good good questions. Um. Oh, here's a Hassan question on the Jews. You want to answer a question on the Jews, Hassan? Okay. No. No. Okay. No, I'll do it. I'll I'll try and be normal about it. No, it's actually okay. a average question. Um, Matthew, how do we interpret Matthew twenty? Oh, this is a good question. Pate, where it said that okay. Jews are not to be said to be accursed by God. Yeah. So I think you did some. You were doing some looking into this recently. We probably just agree, right? Um. So there is a sense in which there is a group of people that we can call the Jews that are not accursed by God. And there is a sense in which we can refer to another group of people that we can call the Jews who are accursed by God. Okay. So to put it, to put this like very simply, we have to distinguish among Jews, their various different relationships with God. So the highest are obviously going to be Jews that are Catholic, right? People who are ethnic Jews who are Catholic. And there was a time long time ago in the early church when there were jews who followed most of the jewish laws not as salvific but as a way to kind of like as as the the fathers say to kind of like peacefully put away the law right uh, with with reverence so they would not think that it was salvific but they would follow it for for a time out of reverence and then you have to think of the next uh group who are going to be jews that are ignorant of the truth of the uh, uh, of the Catholic Church and of central doctrines like the Trinity and the Incarnation, things like this, but they have faith, hope, and charity in a state of invincible ignorance, right? And then there are those who are in a state of mortal sin, but they have the rudiments of faith from a previous justification before they sinned. And then you have Jews who have never had faith but they presume to uphold the covenants and act as if they did have faith. These people are the hypocrites, okay? And then you have people who are descended from Jews, but don't even attempt to uphold the covenants in any way. This last group of people are irrelevant. They're not Jews in any meaningful religious sense. They just happen to have ancestors who were Jews, right? Then you have people who claim that they are upholding the covenant, and yet they're faithless. These are the Eudes Perfidies. These people are cursed. They have a special guilt of the deicide. But if we consider the Jews as an overall category, especially including people who are simply invincibly ignorant and are not hypocrites, they don't presume to have, they don't act as if they have faith while they don't. We can't call these people cursed. And you have to consider also, for example, in the book of Acts, 
we see the description of the Jews who have come for Passover on Pentecost, who, who are still there. And it says devout men from all, from all places, Jews, devout men from all places. These people didn't believe in Christianity yet, but they were devout men because they had the theological virtues. So this is what has to be taken into account that the, um, the doctrine of Nostra Aetate, taking into account the um, concept of invincible ignorance and the ability for somebody to have faith, hope and charity while invincibly ignorant um, allows us to understand that both Nostra Aetate and Limigentium and the traditional doctrines of Jewish deicide are compatible. They just refer to different aspects. Is that basically the conclusions that you were coming to from your own reading and from looking at St. Thomas? Basically. Yeah. Hassan is right. I need to wait for Ethan to come back to answer this next question. This is an interesting one. If the efficient cause, form, and matter of Scripture is perfect, how is it not then perspicuous? We're getting, we're getting debunked right now. Debunked? Yeah. If the efficient cause, form, and matter of Scripture is perfect, how is it not then perspicuous? Sounds like Junius. Yeah, I think I think it probably. Like, but yeah, when it comes to the when it comes to the matter of scripture, the matter of scripture is just locution, or at least uh, like material words. So, if the matter of scripture is perfect, then the matter of all locution is perfect. It's just locution. It's not like I'm not I'm not I'm not sure I'm I'm not sure about the the matter part of that. If the matter of scripture is perfect, because the matter of scripture is just written language. I'm, I'm really, I'm, yeah. Okay, okay. Just I will. I will, stop, but, I will move on. Okay, but the the form, <laughs> the the efficient cause and form of scripture. How is it not uh, perspicuous? So I think I don't think the argument follows. So first, just be, if God wanted to, let's say God um, inspired an inspired uh, textbook of mechanical engineering. It would it would be perfect as to its end. So things things are perfect as their forms are um, forms are directed towards uh, certain ends, uh, and it's perfect in that uh, species of end. So a biology textbook that is perfect would perfectly teach biology. A astrophysics textbook would perfectly achieve its end of teaching astrophysics, and uh, and so on and so forth. So uh, just because the efficient cause form and matter of something is perfect does not mean it's perspicuous. It means that it achieves, achieves its end. But uh, on, on the other hand, so I think uh, by perspicuous, uh, the purpose of Scripture is to uh, reveal the mysteries of the faith uh, to us. So uh, on, on, that, uh, on that basis, I think we can say that Scripture is uh, perspicuous uh, when it comes to articles of faith. That Christ is, uh, that God is, that he's a rewarder of the just, that um, the Holy Trinity is the one God, that Christ has incarnate and, uh, and died for the sins of mankind, that Christ uh, has been resurrected from the dead, that he will come again to judge the quick and the dead, uh, the general uh, law surrounding uh, moral conduct, the love of God, uh, and the love of neighbor. Uh, so I, I, I think in that sense we can speak of Scripture as uh, perspicuous. Uh, so I, I, don't, I don't know why uh, the, the perspicuity of Scripture is just seen as a um, as a Protestant thing, uh, except when that is abused, as to say that external 
um, external judgments of the sense of scripture uh, are not valid or authoritative, which um, they they are. And um, if, if you wanted us to go in a long rant about the shape of, of scripture when it comes to magisterial authority, we can. Um, but yeah, that, that's those are my thoughts. Do you have any? Yeah, I, I mean, I think I think when we talk about uh, perspicuity, we tend to um, like it, we don't there, there's several definitions being used again. And this is kind of the problem we ran into, we ran into before. Um, but it's it, it's not as if for the for the Catholic scripture cannot be interpreted at all apart from the magisterium or something like that. Um, the the um, the deposit of faith is not something that like is only preached by the magisterium, so to speak. It's not like it's it's not like we have to have everything we have through through the direct like through like a direct statement interpreting scripture. I'm, this is very like off the way I'm speaking here. Yeah, I'm all out What's of whack. Um, something like is off here. Okay, hold on. Wasn't that coffee, um, whatever? Well, yeah, I'm 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 asleep right now. Um, but basically, what I'm trying to say is that we can read scripture and understand it um, without having to constantly look at um, magisterial documents. It's more for like it, it will clarify and give um, and you know help us interpret scripture. But we can read it and very and get very clear answers without having to look at at magisterial teaching every two seconds kind of thing mm -hmm. um it's more of a moral necessity than a strict necessity yeah the the infallibility of the magisterium is a is a gift and a remedy to the effects of the fall upon um, upon the ability of societies to progress consistently in true conclusions basically mm -hmm. yeah yeah the, that's basically what i was trying to say yeah with a whole bunch of confusing yeah if we were to just exactly that, right like, <laughs> yep because like just, just uh, what, take what I, words. <laughs> I, have, I have an issue i've talked i've talked to some of the um the like the epistemological argument guys and they they tend to think that the magisterium and the magisterial declaration is actually physically necessary for the ascent of faith yeah exactly. yeah that's all it, it, that's that's ridiculous that's, that's what like, i was trying to critique yeah <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah it, that's, it, that's, that's a, a huge moral, moral necessity uh, to the magisterium for the application of uh, revelation but it's like somebody if if i like drop a bible on a bench or something like that and some guy who's never like heard of christianity comes and picks it up and starts reading it like he can have the ascent of faith just from reading scripture on his own yes Oh, the magisterium is not only about disputes. Come on, bro. Yeah, and this this book uh, this book actually came out from Emmaus, uh, the obscurity of scripture and the Protestant notion of biblical perspicuity. Have you seen that? Um, I listened to like the Road to Emmaus podcast on it, but I haven't got a chance to look at the book. Yeah, what do um, what do you think about a, the podcast at least? Um, the podcast I thought was um, was really good. I mean, uh, Casey chalk i think is his name yeah like I, I didn't i but saw he, it coming going around and i didn't really yeah he's a he's a he's a former calvinist he just dives into a lot of the um the um epistemology issues kind of underlying protestant thinking on it um on mm -hmm. on that particular issue but yeah i don't know i haven't i haven't looked at the book myself um yeah i've i have a feeling that it, there's going to be issues um but you know, I could be I could be pleasantly surprised. I, I could be pleasantly 
Oh, Kate. Oh, was interviewed by Council of Trent. I haven't watched that one. I only saw the the interview with Dr. Han. Oh, he also interviewed with Dr. Han. Yeah, did. Dr. Han thinks it's wonderful. So if that's any, oh no, yeah. uh, help. If Dr. Han thinks it's wonderful, I think it's wonderful. <laughs> Yeah, somebody's asking about my review of On the Principles of Nature 9 through 25. No, I haven't recorded it yet because the whole baptism thing this weekend and my whole car deciding to that it hated me. You know, that was that was terrible. My car, like, met, uh, there was a brake issue in the morning and then one of the other tires blew in, in like, the afternoon. It was – I don't get how you have that much bad car luck happening in one day. Okay. Can review the errors of the capitalists. No, because I have to get going. Anything else? No, I'm good. Anything else, Hassan? Hey, go. Is there anything else? Anything else, Dunday? No. You, you guys you guys really went up on the question quality near the end. I'm yes. proud of you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So. I have nothing to say for the entire first half. Yeah. <laughs> You want, to come, you want me to comment on like video games and stuff. Then I had to kick Jerome as well. <laughs> use of the of the bad word because we don't we don't use that term. Okay, I think it would be we, we should probably talk more about the epistemic argument stuff again because I think it's connected to a conversation we were having recently about um, people downplaying the effects of the fall on on reason and on virtues. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. That is that would be a good conversation to have. We should discuss it next week because I gotta get to class. Sounds good. Alright guys. Okay. See ya. Bye bye. Bye bye.